Yes, sir. You got baptized. I see you back in the back standing up. He stood up, right? Yes. Love you, man. Love you. Um, today we are going to read one of the more controversial uh, and, and in many cases for many people troubling texts in all of scripture. Last week, Pastor Brady preached through a government and praying over and like people who think we're scared to talk about things. Last week was government. This week, we're, I'll read you the text. But thanks so much, Brady, for being gone today so that I could teach this one. I, I appreciate you. I love you. God bless you. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you this text and then we'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. Paul, he says, Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. And I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Some of you, the oxygen is getting sucked out of the room right now. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. She's good. Uh, I do not permit, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Uh, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. And then Paul finishes this chapter, but a woman will be saved through childbearing. Paul, stop. <laughs> that, I mean, I'm not saying that, you, you'll see by the end why he says this, but right now at first pass, we're all going, what in the world is happening here? <laughs> a woman will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness, with propriety. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, dang, <laughs> let's pray. Lord, we need you in all sincerity. We need you. What are we doing here? If we're here to be entertained, we're not here to be entertained. We're here to, to hear the very living word of God. We're here, Lord, that you would change us and challenge us and encourage us and make us new. We're here that you'd make us holy. We're here to be healed to the very depths of our being. And so, Lord, I pray from the outset of this sermon, as the word of God goes forth, I pray that you would do what only you can do, that you would encourage and strengthen and bring life, that you would make us your holy people, we pray today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen, amen. at the beginning of the week. I knew what I was going to be preaching on, and it's our custom as I drive our kids into school in the morning to listen to a couple chapters of the Bible. We have about a 20-minute drive, and so we'll listen to a couple chapters of the Bible. I'll, I'll ask the question, so what did you hear? And then we'll talk about that, and then we'll pray, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer, and then I'll say, the Lord bless you and keep you, and I'll send them into school as missionaries. That's our 20-minute morning routine every morning. So I played, unbeknownst to them, I played 1 Timothy 2 for my kids this week. And I could not wait to see what they thought. So they're sitting there and it's 6.50 a.m. and we're driving in and I hit 1 Timothy 2 and Paul says, a woman should be silent in the church and saved through childbearing. And that's how the chapter closes. And my 13 year old son goes, well, that's sexist. I heard about another dad who was driving his kids in, four kids, and his oldest daughter is 15, and they were driving in, and he played 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15 this week, and finished, and she goes, no, sir, Paul, no, sir, no, sir. 
right away. This 15 year. And, and so like, we, this is in the Bible and it sounds at first blush, it sounds backward and it sounds horrible. And we want to know what it's doing in the Bible, but here's my opening thesis statement. And then we'll work back from this. The first thing I want you to hear is quote, women should be silent in the church End quote ought to sound strange to us, not because we are enlightened moderns, but precisely because we have been reading the entire Bible. Women should be silent in the church. Ought to, it ought to make us do that because, not because we're this feminist womanist movement, we're in a revolution here, not because of that, but because we've been reading the entire Bible. This week, I created a brief timeline from the beginning of scripture to the end. I want you to see, and I just selected a handful of women I wanna show you this timeline of women in the Bible who have changed the story. First person, Eve. Not a compliment to her husband, not a plus one, not a tack on. In the beginning, God created them, male and female, he created them. In his image, male and female, he created them. Eve is a co-created image bearer. Eve is, is standing there with Adam in the garden, helping superintend God's good creation. Eve is this woman of God who from the very beginning is an equal made in the image of God, Sarah. Many times Sarah sort of gets tucked in behind her famous husband, Abraham, as if Abraham did all the hard work and lived by faith. And Sarah was just sort of a plus one. Sarah was living by faith with her husband. She leaves their homeland together with her husband. He's not doing that by himself, I promise you. Sarah sends Abraham and Isaac up that mountain that day, and I believe she did it by faith, not knowing what was going to come, just like Abram, but we trust you, God, and all right, boys, go for it. We'll see you later for dinner. Sarah lives by faith with her husband, Abraham, Jochebed. Many of you don't know who Jochebed is, but she's the mother of Moses. Sort of a big deal. And in Egypt, Moses is this Hebrew boy born in exile in Egypt. And the, the Hebrews were producing so many children, so many boys that the, the particular Pharaoh at the time got scared. And he said, any of those boys, any of those youngins, throw them in the Nile, kill the boys. Cause I need to, I need a little cleansing here of that bloodline. We need to get things set right. Our ratios, right. And Jacobus said, not on my watch. God gave me this gift of life. You're not going to take this gift of life from me. So she goes down to the Nile River and cuts down some reeds. And she creates this basket made of reeds from the Nile. And she puts her blessed little boy in that Nile River. And she releases him downstream by faith. God, take care of my son. God, take care of my son. God, I will not kill my son. But God, I'm going to buy some time for you to save him. Jochebed lives by faith. And Miriam, her daughter... Moses's older sister, Miriam, runs along the Nile with the basket she's watching, hiding in the reeds because it was dangerous for this Hebrew girl to be doing this. But she comes down the Nile River and there's Pharaoh's daughter and her entire group of women and they're bathing and getting cleaned up. And Pharaoh's daughter sees this little basket that Jochebed made and she sends one of her girls out, bring me that basket and opens up the basket. And it's this gorgeous little Hebrew boy. And Miriam older sister of Moses jumps out of the reeds at just the right time. She's planning this scheming the whole time. And she jumps out and she goes, ma'am, 
I'm a Hebrew girl and I know lots of Hebrew women who would be honored to take care and, and, and breastfeed that child and honor that child. And she runs back home and gets her mother, Jochebed, and brings her to Pharaoh's daughter and says, hey, I found a Hebrew woman who would be happy to take care of this for you and she'll raise him. Most women have to leave work to feed their baby. Jochebed got hired at a great wage to come into Pharaoh's house to breastfeed her own son. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Pharaoh. Miriam and Jochebed working together, scheming, living by faith, taking their lives into their hands and saying, God gives the gift of life and we will not kill, but somehow, someway, God will raise this one up. And Miriam and Jochebed save the little boy that will save Israel. Friends, from the beginning of scripture, you've got these incredible women who are living by faith. I'll keep going. We've got Deborah, who's a prophetess. Judges four and five, you can read about her later. And she leads the people of Israel into battle against their enemies. Deborah is not scared. Deborah is bowed up. She's ready to fight. And she's inspired these people to victory. And she prophesies toward the end of the war that God would raise up another woman to seal the victory. God's been doing a great thing and God has got us on the brink of this victory and I know God's gonna break through and surely God's gonna raise up another woman and you turn to Judges 5 and you hear about this girl, Yael. Yael, we've got a friend, Yael, who comes to this church and sits down on the front row, a, a good Jewish girl and Yael is, is in her tent while the war is raging and Barak, a man of God, had been raised up and, and had the chance to take out the enemy. The enemy is called Sisera. His name is Sisera. He's a bad guy. And Barak has his chance with Sisera and he backs down and he gets, he gets scared and walks away and Sisera keeps moving and he comes to this tent and there's this girl, Yael, outside of her tent and she says, I, I, I bet you you're gonna need a place to stay tonight, aren't you? And Sisera goes, yeah, I am. And he... Honestly, he's, he's thinking, okay. And she invites him into the tent and he lays down and he takes a little nap. And while he's sleeping, Yael jumps up with a tent peg and drives it through his skull, crushing the enemy and finishing the war. And I've heard men say to, to women, I just would like you to settle into a nice little biblical womanhood. And I say, which kind, which kind? Like, let's talk about this. Let's look at the big story. Like, you, you think that means like, oh, be precious and be beautiful. Uh, just like nice and quiet. No, like Yael rises up as a woman of God anointed by the spirit and she finishes Israel's enemies. You got Esther who saved an entire nation from annihilation. The, the, the first Holocaust was, was prevented by Esther and she was raised up for such a time as this and she could have taken care of herself. She had plenty of privilege and the king loved her and she could have just settled for that being enough. My people are gonna pay for this, but at least I'm okay and she doesn't. She throws herself in the machine and she says, if he kills me first, that's fine, but I'll die before I let him take care of my people like that. And she rises up and she saves the people of God from annihilation. You've got Ruth, a Gentile for, a foreigner, a, a Moabitess, the bad woman. That, the Moabitesses, if you would have known about them, read about them, th these are the outsiders of all outsiders. These are evil people. And Ruth says, look, Naomi, I know you're a Hebrew woman and I'm not, but I married your son and your people will be my people and your God will be my God and I will not leave you and I will die with you if that's what it takes. And through Ruth, an outside Moabitess, we've got her great, 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 great grandson called Jesus Christ. 
God saves through the Moabites, this woman who was willing to live by faith. And you've got Lady Wisdom Solomon at the beginning of his book of Proverbs. Chapters one through nine is bookended with Lady Wisdom standing at the corner of the street saying, all who are simple, come in here. At first in Maine, she says, I'll save you. And if you don't follow me, if you don't come into the life of wisdom, you will go into the house of the harlot, little knowing that it will cost you your life. Lady Wisdom beckons people into wisdom. And Proverbs 31, we've got what she looks like in this Proverbs 31 woman. Friends, from the beginning pages of scripture to the end of the Old Testament, we've got women leading and prophesying and governing and praying and preaching and teaching and leading into battle the people of God. Then you turn to the New Testament, you've got this woman, Mary. Hey, Mary. It's been 400 years of silence. It's been 400 years of chaos. I, I, I'm finally going to get the story back on track and I will save my people from their sins and you will be great with child. The spirit of the Lord will hover over you and you'll be great with child and you'll name this child Jesus for he will save God's people from their sins. And Mary is not scared. She says, bring it on. Be it unto me according to your word. And we're all here today talking about it because Mary lived by faith. You turn the pages and you've got these wealthy women in Jesus's ministry who played a key role, women entrepreneurs who were out knocking it down in the business world and they were bringing the strength that God had given them through their businesses and they paid for Jesus to do his ministry. All throughout the gospels, you see these key entrepreneur women who God raises up to, to take care of and to help supply and fund Jesus's ministry. Mary and Martha, we know about Mary and Martha, but we've made them way too precious. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, isn't that so sweet and serene and, and just a still peaceful lake in the morning? No, Mary and Martha sitting at the feet of Jesus means that they're enrolled in a theological school. They are, they are students of the rabbi and they're following Jesus down the dusty roads of Palestine and they're living by faith in a patriarchal society. They don't care what the guys think because this one, this rabbi Jesus is the one and he's got the way and he's let us come be around him and we will follow him even if it kills us. Mary and Martha the living by faith. Got Mary Magdalene. Many people understand her story to be sketchy and they've misunderstood so much about Mary Magdalene. But where do we see Mary on Easter Sunday morning when, when no one knows what's going on? She carries oil and spices and she's coming to dignify the murdered body of the son of God, Jesus Christ. And she's just going to do what she can to honor his memory. And she shows up and there's angels there in blazing white robes. And they say, he's not here. He's risen just as he said. And, and Mary Magdalene races back to all the men, the guys who are locked up. And she says, Jesus Christ. Christ is risen from the dead and they don't believe her. The very first preacher of the resurrection was a woman. An apostle to the apostles is Mary Magdalene. And, and she gets those guys snapped to attention and they finally get back into their lives of faith. Mary Magdalene. We've got Junia, who's an apostle in Romans 16, 7. Philip's four unmarried daughters who play a key role at prophesying for the people of God. We've got Phoebe called a deacon. Phoebe, Paul gives her the document the scroll that he, he, he scratched out the letter to the Romans, his greatest theological tome. And he says, Phoebe, I need Phoebe. And Phoebe comes and he gives it to her. And she walks 750 miles to Rome and she reads and preaches and helps interpret the greatest theological document that Paul ever wrote. The first person to do that was Phoebe. And we've got Lydia who pays Paul's bills. He moves into her household and she is his patron in an ancient Near Eastern 
society. Friends, let me just ask you this. Have women historically been silent in the church? No. You look at that timeline and you look at the work they've done. And again, that's just a sampling. Have women historically been silent in the church? No, they haven't. And Paul told us that this would come, that there, there's a day when the spirit of God is poured out, that we won't understand each other to be Jews and Gentiles separated by our distinctions. We won't understand each other to be slaves and free separated by our socioeconomic distinctions. And there will neither be male nor female. We won't understand each other by our gender distinctions for you are all one in. Jesus Christ. Paul said, this is what God had intended from the beginning. And this is what God will do when the spirit is poured out. Can you say amen real quick today, church? Need you to talk to me just a little bit. First Timothy two, many people think that Paul is reversing course. And there's kind of three ways here that people understand first Timothy two. The first way is that Paul's a pigheaded misogynist. Ah, you know, But but, like my son, Wilson, initially like that's sexist. What in the world? People think that Paul's some sort of ancient patriarchal, you know, heavy handed guy, but that doesn't square with what we know of him because he's, he's, he's named Lydia and Phoebe and Prisca and Junia and all these different ones who have done this incredible work with him. Some people say the second uh, approach is that Paul's an old man that's gone senile in his latter years. This is his last, really, like you laugh, like seriously, people will say that this is his last document and he's losing it right now, okay? So bless his heart, oh Paul. But then if, if, if that's the case, then you've gotta throw the whole document away. It's not trustworthy. If he's lost his mind, we can't read the rest of it. And we read the beginning of it and next chapter we turn and we learn about elders in the church and the qualifications for being an elder. So I'm just here to say that's not an option. Paul's not a pig-headed misogynist, and Paul's not an old man that's gone senile. What's the third way that you can read this? Is that Paul has good reasons for putting a very brief stop to women teaching, and only in the Ephesian church. He's not talking universally, he's talking to this church. And he says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission, I do not permit, and the Greek word there is epitrepo. Can you say epitrepo? This will be good for your Christmas banquet coming up where you're sitting at the table with your coworkers and go, you know, as I was studying the ancient Greek text, epitrepo, you're dropping names, right? Epitrepo. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach. And he says, epitrepo, a woman or to assume authority over a man, she must be quiet. Epitrepo, this Greek word translated here into I do not permit is more properly translated. I am not permitting. Just for for a quick moment, I am not permitting. Now, all of us have seen this happen. Some of you have raised up teenagers who began to drive. And and maybe one of you would have had a 16-year-old son who who was so excited to drive and that first big snowstorm came in and he's out with his friends and you're worried about your baby and you're saying, you know, drive slowly. And, And he said, yeah, mom, I'm great. I'll drive slowly. I'll be serious. But then his friend is in the car while he's driving down Powers. And he, the son, your son is going 60 miles an hour in a terrible snowstorm and his friend is on Instagram stories posting it, you know? Whoa! and they're laughing and they're having a blast and they peel off and they go into Pine Creek parking lot and they're doing donuts, just tearing up the parking lot. And and his friend is posting it on stories and you're at home watching this happen. And then your sweet little man of God walks in the house later and you go, how was tonight? He goes, oh, it was just 
brilliant. I was, I was praying and I was praying just the whole time as I was driving a 10 and two, and I was just going very slowly and I was very focused on this. I just wanted to be, be safe. And I know insurance is more expensive at this age. So I take that seriously, mom and dad. I want you to know I take that seriously. And then you pull out your phone and you show them the story that his friend posted. And you do not say, I do not permit you to ever drive again. You say epitreple. I am not permitting. Give me your license right now and give me those keys. And for the next month, you're benched. <laughs> you're sitting down. You say epitrepo, right? You, you don't say for the rest of your life, you'll never be able to do this. You, you make a contextual call given the moment and you bench him temporarily. This is what Paul is doing in this moment in time. And some of you are wondering why I'll tell you why. The context of this letter is everything for understanding what Paul is doing. And Paul is writing to the people in Ephesus, ancient Turkey. And in Ephesus, there's this new Roman society movement going on called the New Woman Movement. It's, this, it's, it's feminism on steroids. It's the womanist moment. It's a sexual revolution happening among the wealthy women that live in Ephesus. Paul is not writing in abstractions, he's writing with specifics for people. He knows what's happening in Ephesus. And these women, it's a sexual revolution where they're flouting their old sexual norms. And this is precisely why Paul comments on their clothing and their hair and their makeup and their jewelry. Why? Because these women were going into the temple of Artemis. The temple of Artemis was one of the seven uh, in the ancient world was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was unbelievable. And it was right there in Ephesus. So these women in this Roman sexual revolution were going into the temple of Artemis and they were wealthy and they could wear whatever clothes they wanted and they had great jewelry. And in the temple of Artemis, these wealthy women would dress as prostitutes. I'm not making this up. You can read this in the history books. You can read this through, through uh, commentaries. These women would go to the temple of Artemis and they would worship and they would channel the energy and the power of, of Artemis, who is this fertility deity. And they would call on her powers. And then they would stand up and give these false prophecies and say the most wild things with big gold earrings and perfectly braided hair like the prostitutes. And they were dressed as prostitutes. And then they hear about this man, Jesus who was dead. And then on a Sunday morning, he wasn't. And their hearts are beginning to be convicted and they start coming into the synagogues to worship there. Oh, this guy's got power. And we thought Artemis had power, but this one's got power. And so they come into church wearing the same things and doing the same things and channeling the energy of the heavens and giving false prophecies and being loud. And they looked like prostitutes. And they said, we're going to do the same thing in church that we did in Artemis's temple. And Paul says, the heck you are. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to follow the one who's clean. You're going to follow the one who's holy. You're going to follow the one who's humble. You're going to follow the one who uses his strength not to flout who he is or, or, or to, to be proud and to be, to be boisterous. You're going to follow the one who takes his strength and picks up a cross and denies himself and saves the world. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to leave all that Artemis stuff at the door. Don't bring that into church. And that's why 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15 is written. Not so Paul can suppress women and say, you're stupid and you have nothing to give and be quiet in the church. But he's saying, you've got to unlearn that old false discipleship that Artemis taught you. And if you're going to come worship Jesus, you will be clean. And he's not just talking to the women. 
The very first verse that we read today is 1 Timothy 2.8, where he says to the men, men, I want you to lift your holy hands without wrath. I want you to come into church and men, you're not going to dominate. You're not going to be powerful. You're not going to play the the old Roman game of trying to dominate your enemies. Men, when you come into church, I want you to lift holy hands, put down your weapons, put down your strength, lift your hands without anger and without disputing. And women, when you come into the church, be clean and be holy. All of you together, come be the people of God. Paul says, I do not permit a woman to assume authority over a man. That's been one where just, it it has been weaponized against women to say you don't have anything to contribute. But the word that he says, he uses here to assume authority is this word authentane. And authentane is only used once in the Bible, right here. This is the only time we see it. And it probably means something like to domineer. Paul is saying to the women, you can't come into the church and, and do what you were doing back in the temple of Artemis and try to leverage your strength over the men. Don't do that. But again, he says to the men, don't do that to the women. So what I want to say here is that in the house of God, nobody should dominate anybody. Nobody. Men. Nobody. We, we report to the master. <laughs> We report to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. We report, you look at Jesus in the New Testament, everywhere he goes, there's women all over the place. Why is that? Because Jesus was the safest safest place and the safest person that any of them could be. (laughs) Jesus is the safe one. And so men, we ought to be like Jesus. No one should dominate anyone in the house of God. What about this last really provocative sentence? but women will be saved through childbearing. Can I, can I give you sort of the extreme caricature of how this text has been used? I have been in rooms where this has been said when I was growing up, where people have taken first Timothy two and they said, here's what it means. So I'm going to give you an extreme caricature of what many women have heard in the church about first Timothy two. Typically this passage has been heard like, Women can't do anything meaningful in the church and they shouldn't dress up and put on makeup and do their hair. The best they can do is to be locked up in the home barefoot and pregnant. Now, some of you go, but some of you have heard that and I've heard that. And that's not at all what Paul is doing. What is he saying when he says a woman will be saved through childbearing? Remember that Artemis was the ancient deity who oversaw fertility. She was in charge of, if you were pregnant, if you were gonna bring life into the earth, and if you were a farmer, an agrarian, and you needed the the world to produce, you worshiped at Artemis' temple. Why? Because she's got the mechanism, she's got the levers that controls fertility. So Paul is talking to women who've been schooled that if you want to produce and reproduce, and if you want to be well, you need to worship Artemis. Another factor that's very important for us to understand in this text is that the the life expectancy for a woman in the first century was 30 years old. 30 years old. Why? Because women were dying right and left in childbirth. The medical care was horrendous. And these women were out on the frontier having babies in their homes and and any complication that would come, they were dying right and left. And so you, you obviously know these women would want to find some help through childbirth. And they were promised 
that Artemis is your way forward. So if you want to have babies and if you want to make it and if you want to be strong, you've got to worship Artemis. And so they would. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Artemis is not your provider. Artemis is not your protector. Artemis is not the goddess of life. Let me introduce you to Yahweh, the one who was and is and is to come. And you can come worship Yahweh and I promise you he will take care of you. He's not saying that a woman will be meaningful if she has babies. That's how people have interpreted this. A woman, well, her her one redemption will be that she can have babies and keep the human story going. That's not what Paul was saying. He's saying, and when you come to the scariest moment of your life and you're ready to give birth to a baby, I promise you it's not Artemis that you need. The God of our fathers is the one who will take care of you and you will be saved even in your moment of travail. Do you see why Paul was talking to these women. He wasn't coming to them to crush them. He wasn't coming to them to embarrass them. He was coming to build them up and to encourage them and to strengthen them and to teach them the truth about who the God of life is. It's not Artemis, it's Yahweh. Church, can you hear me today? Do you hear what's going on? Paul is encouraging these women. He's healing, he's bringing life, he's bringing dignity. But as I said, there's been so much pain surrounding this text. Three weeks ago, Beth Moore was here, right, standing right here preaching. Beth Moore is, in my mind, a legend, 66-year-old woman of God who's been faithful for decades. She's memorized entire books of the Bible. She's written books that have sold millions of copies. And all along the way, joyful and humble and playful, a Southern Texas girl just having a blast serving God's people. But it has been very hard for her in the circles that she's worked in to do her work. She's had to overcome a whole lot to just be Beth Moore. And, and I was so excited that she was here. And so I walked in and on Friday and three weeks ago, and there was a sound guy here doing a little sound check. And there was a lighting guy here checking the lights and the room was empty. So I thought I would come in and just say, come Holy Spirit and you know, have your way here tonight. There's going to be a couple thousand people. I was just going to kind of pray the room warm in the spirit, right? Lights were out. And all of a sudden in an empty room, I hear, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I start looking around. I heard a voice over here. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And it was pitch black, but I could see someone moving. And it was a a short kind of blonde headed lady walking the back of this room. And she came over this way. Jesus, Jesus, come Holy Spirit. Speak to your people tonight. Have your way. Oh God, we need you. Oh God. She came over here where there was a little bit more light. And then I saw it was Beth Moore in a room empty by herself. She, she could be back at the hotel. Just, she's done this. She's got muscle memory for doing this. She doesn't need to pray. She doesn't need to study. If anyone could mail it in, Beth Moore is someone who can mail it in. But here she is by herself on a Friday afternoon, knowing that thousands of people were coming that night. She's saying, come Holy Spirit, would you build these people up? Would you teach them the word? Would you cause me to decrease so that you might increase? And Beth Moore is a woman of God. And a few years ago, a man was at a, a theological conference. And he was known to be anti-women in ministry, very, very vocal about that. And someone wanted to have an honest dialogue about women in ministry. And, and he, he, here's how he phrased the question. He said, sir, if Beth Moore were here today, what would you want to say to her? And the man without skipping a beat said, go home. That is dark. 
you want to have a theological conversation, if you want to, if you want to look at the original languages, if you want to talk church history and have a genuine theological conversation, absolutely. But you know what we will not do? You know what will not be acceptable ever in the body of Christ is dismissing people and disrespecting people and dishonoring people and telling people to go home. Like, why do we insist on discouraging people? I want to ask the question, why do we insist on saying things that take the courage out of people? We must stop this in the body of Christ church. Can you say amen? If someone ever says to you, if someone ever says to you, I feel like the Lord is leading me or I feel like the Lord is calling me or I'm feeling challenged by the spirit and I want to go to seminary. I want to study. I want to press in. Don't say something that will cut them out at the knees. Say, what can I do to help you? What can I do to be a part of what God is doing in your life? I see the hand of the Lord on you, not go home. That is of the devil. Friends, we have to become an encouraging people. We have to become a people that walk with each other. And let me just say, it's time to stop making women have to overcome so much just to participate in the body of Christ. It's time. Let me tell you what's happening right now as I see it. We're all living downstream, paying for the sins committed and the obstacles created upstream. In military, in politics, in the universities, in business, women for so long have been told they can't, they don't belong. You can't do this. You can't do that. There's a cap here. You can't, you can do this, but you can't do that. And what's happening is we're, we're, we're paying for the sins committed upstream. But let me tell you what's happening. The dams that have held women back for so many centuries are starting to break and they have been breaking it's slow work, but God himself is breaking them. And over the next many years, you're going to start seeing the results where our mothers and grandmothers were told that they couldn't or shouldn't go to seminary. Their daughters are now graduating and crossing the stage in their caps and gowns. Something is happening in the body of Christ and it will be for the good of the church and the blessing of the world. Can you say amen church? Two more quick stories and then we'll pray. My mom, Becky Grothy, uh, grew up in Lapway, Idaho, small town, 500 people. And she was a, she was a woman of the church and she loved going to church and watching her pastor preach. And they called in this denomination it was a minister. So she loved watching her minister open the scriptures every week. And at 11 years old, she started a confirmation track process where for the next year, You'll memorize scriptures and you'll memorize the church statement of faith and you'll ask theological questions and you'll be in a track where you're practicing and, and growing into your confirmation. And on confirmation day, you'll receive your first communion at 12 years old. And my mom did that work and she was so excited. Let me show you this picture of, of little Rebecca Lynn Wilson at that time. And she was her confirmation day. And in this small church, there was just a handful of kids and she got to sit right next to the minister in a circle. And she's looking up at this guy that she's just adored and wanted to be like. And she says, to, I had her write it down because I didn't want to misrepresent it. She said, can a woman be a minister? Confirmation day, sitting right next to him. So enamored of the work that he's been doing. And she said, can a woman be a minister? She wrote, I can still see him recoil while saying, no, no, a missionary, maybe, but not a minister. First of all, let's just say as if being a missionary is second-class citizenship. <laughs> we'll let you go to other nations and preach the good news of Jesus. You just can't do it in America. Like God have mercy on us for our paradigms that need to be broken. 
But he looked at this little girl and said, no, no, not a minister, but maybe a missionary. And my mom wrote, I marked that day as the day I sensed a calling from God into pastoral ministry. She's been doing it for 40 years. She's been doing it faithfully. Final story. I got a letter in the mail four years ago from little Adri Ruth McCalman. And I've known Adri since literally since the day she was born, got to baptize Adri. Her parents are some of our dear friends. We love this family. And Adri sent me a letter in the mail. I went to my office and there was this letter and I opened it up and it said, dear pastor Daniel, this is Adri. Can we meet? I've been reading the Bible and I have some questions. And I wrote her a letter back. Dear Adri Ruth, absolutely we can meet. I'm so proud of you for reading the Bible. Let's, and so I sent her a date. And August 8th, 2018, Adri was coming up to the church in the back of her mom's SUV. And she took her mom's phone and she texted me. Dear Pastor Daniel, this is Adri. What's your favorite coffee? <laughs> and she ran by Starbucks and she bought herself a hot chocolate and she bought me my favorite coffee. And she walks into my office as an eight-year-old girl with a couple coffees and a backpack with a clipboard in it. And she hands me my coffee and sets her hot chocolate down. And she sits in the chair across from me and her feet aren't touching the floor. It's this big leather chair and her feet are just kind of dangling over the edge. And she pulls out her clipboard and she goes, question number one. <laughs> and for 75 minutes, she says, okay, let's talk about suffering. Why does the Bible say this here? And why does the Bible say that there? Okay. Now let's talk about the poor. Her parents have a heart for the poor and she wants to serve, spend her life blessing other people. Okay. Let's talk about preaching and let's talk about women in the Bible and let's talk about this and let's talk about that. And let's talk about the problem of the eight years old, pinning me to the wall with her questions. She's brilliant. And at the end she said, okay, I think I'm done. And I said, Adri, before you leave, let me say one thing. I don't know what God has for your future. I know it's going to be great. Your mom, your mom is a leader. Your mom is powerful. Your mom, she, her, her mom used to be a pastor here at the church and is doing some different work now. Her, I said, your mom is gifted and you come from good stock. And so I'm not here to tell you what the Lord has for your future, but I'm here to tell you that if you feel, I said, there's not a bunch of eight-year-old girls just asking these questions and setting appointments with pastors. So if you feel like the Lord is calling you to do this work and you want to learn the scriptures and you want to preach to God's people and you want to rise up and serve in the church, you let me know because I'll spend everything I have for you to jump off of our shoulders here at the church. There is nothing that's off limits to you. Adri, if you want it, I'll give you your first sermon and I'll help you prepare. Woman of God, God has a great future for you. Here's what I want. I want a church where Beth Moore can be Beth Moore and Becky Grothy can be Becky Grothy and Adri Ruth McCalman can be Adri Ruth McCalman. Can you say amen today, church? Would you stand with me today? As the band comes, we're going to sing a song here and then we'll receive communion. But here's what I want you women of God to hear in this place. First, I'll say working at a church is not the highest and best. If God calls you to be obedient, if you're supposed to be a pastor, be obedient. But some of you are knocking it down. Your, your lawyers, your financial planners, your school teachers, your, your EMTs, your doctors, you're doing whatever God has called you to do. And the goal is just to be obedient to the call of God on your life. The second thing is, I'm sorry for any and every moment that you have encountered someone who has used a text like this to tell you to be quiet.
I repent on behalf of preachers in the name of Jesus. That is not the heart of the Father God. The Father God wants you flourishing and thriving and going for it and leading in whatever area he's called you to. So I repent and I say I'm sorry for those moments. And men, please, let it be said when we look Jesus face to face. One of the things, let it be said, and you were good to be around. You were safe. You were honorable. You were decent. You lifted up holy hands without wrath and without disputing. You didn't take advantage. You didn't wound. You didn't drive away. You, you honored and you served. God, make us a church like this. Amen. So church, let's pray today. Lord, raise us up into a beautiful alliance of women and men, comfortable in our own skin, understanding what we've been made for. Lord, I pray for the daughters in our church that they would grow and that they would thrive and that they would flourish and that they would not be driven away from anything you've called them to do. I pray for the mothers and the grandmothers in our church for dignity and honor and respect and for them to be able to take up their place as the women of God in this house and in the world. Make us strong, we pray. And Lord, for the men in this house, make us men that lift up holy hands without wrath. Let us be honorable. Let us be decent. Let us be honest. Let us be tender. Lord, make us a church where women and men together can thrive in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Let's worship together. I'll come back in just a few minutes and we'll receive communion.